it is so wonderful to see you. And listen, I just want to tell you, we at Lifehouse, we don't have the best facilities. We don't have the best preaching. We do have the best worship team. Amen. Um, we don't have the best looking parking lot or the most amazing landscaping. But I dare you to find a church that's happier to have you joining them on a Sunday morning. Come on, I don't think you can do it. We're just thankful that you're here. We just pray that the Lord will uh, bless you today by choosing on. It just didn't seem like the sun was ever going to come up this morning. Can I just be real with you? I, I was here since about 6.30, and I still don't, I haven't, I don't know if the sun's out now even. I can barely see some light coming through the, the curtains over there. But I am just incredibly grateful that of all the things you could choose to do today, that you have made this a priority and you have chosen to start your day and to start your week uh, spending time together with like-minded believers uh, who love the Lord and know that being part of a local body of believers is, is important. Uh, being a Christian and following Jesus was never meant to be done in solidarity. In fact, I would submit to you, it can't be done in solidarity. Uh, and so I'm just so grateful. I honor you today. I thank you. I honor you. And I appreciate you. If you don't show up, then there's no reason for me to be here either. So I'm glad you're here. Take your Bibles and go to Haggai chapter 1. That's on page 1067. If you've got an NLT Quintel Bible in green goat skin, might I add, to match my shirt today. I need somebody to see that and appreciate it. Listen, we've all got our things. I just have 13 of them, and this is one of them. So uh, grateful uh, for all those who were able to be part of our week of prayer and fasting, whether you were able to attend uh, in person throughout the week or whether you prayed uh, wherever you were. I'm just grateful that you... You can take the scripture off the wall for just a second. I'm not there yet. Uh, don't, don't spoil it for everybody. Uh, it's not every day you get to preach out of Haggai, right? Come on. Um, in fact, I don't think I've ever preached out of Haggai, if I can just be honest with you. But uh, just grateful for that. And I tell you what, I'm eating me some ice cream when I get home from church today. Chocolate peanut butter ice cream is going in my bowl and Weight Watcher starts tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Not today, though. Not today, Satan. I want to uh, tell all the men in the room uh, as well for your sons. Uh, we have a men's breakfast this coming Saturday, January 14th at 8 a.m. And we're going to eat good. And if you're still fasting, you better, you better be over by then. Because uh, we're going to have some pancakes and bacon and some more bacon and a little bit of bacon to go with that bacon. And so if you can be part of that, please let me know. Uh, a lot of times people just show up without letting us know. And that's okay. I, we're good with that. But if you let us know you're coming, it just really helps a lot in the preparation. So if you would let us know. And please, if you can come, if, if there's any possible way you can be there, I want to encourage you to be there. So we started last week a series called Rhythms. And uh, rhythms, rhythm, uh, first of all, I still, after writing two sermons, don't know how to spell rhythm apart from autocorrect. I don't know where the Y goes. I don't know where the H goes. It just, it just the word doesn't make sense to me when you try to spell it. Um, but thank the Lord for Microsoft Word and autocorrect. Can I get an amen in the house today? Rhythm brings multifaceted things into sync. Now, this band, this team, they are fantastic. 
But as amazing as the vocals are, as amazing as the musicians is, and as amazing as Jonathan is on the drums, if they begin to play out of sync with one another, even though individually they may be doing an incredible job by themselves, they may, if they were by themselves, sounding great, you know, they, they may sound great, they may be playing great, they may be keeping the, their own beat great, but if they begin, even in their greatness, to do things out of sync with one another, what sounds like music now would begin to sound like racket. That's a southern word for noise, in case you, you California and New York and that's about it. Ohio people don't know. It's racket means noise. Maybe y'all maybe I'll say that in other places, right, too. But it what 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 could sound like beautiful music, and it does, would sound like noise. It would sound like chaos. And when our life is out of rhythm, uh, even if some things in our life are as they should be. If, if other things are out of rhythm with everything else, what could be a purpose-filled, peace-filled, joy-filled life begins to turn from a beautiful sound to noise. It goes from, from unity to chaos. It happens in churches as well. It happens in our lives. And if I had to bet, which I don't bet, I don't gamble, I don't do that, I mean, you know, I just not, I ain't got enough money to do that. But if I were to bet, maybe, you know, you could bet me lunch one day. I'd bet that. Bet me some dose brews, right? If I were to bet, I would bet that all of us in this room, and myself very much included, very much included in this, could benefit from some godly rhythms in our lives. We could benefit from some godly rhythms in our lives. And so last week we talked about establishing a rhythm of prayer. And then we followed that up with a week of prayer. And so today I want to talk about establishing a rhythm of stewardship in our lives. Rhythm of stewardship. Now that's a big word. Some people may even not completely understand in what context I would mean this. I think it would make sense, though, in a moment. And I just want to—I want to give a preface to um, to everyone who thinks they know what I'm going to talk about. I am going to talk about giving, but it's not just about money, right? Stewardship is not limited to finances, okay? And so, uh, I think if we were to do a poll in this room, and I asked you, do you have all the money you need? I don't, I don't know, I don't, yeah, what's that feel like? If I were to ask you, do you have all the energy you need? Come on, all the parents in the room. Can I hear, are you, are you there today? Yeah. When people without kids tell me they're tired, I'm like, nah, nah, you're not. I mean, you might be a little tired, but you don't know tired yet. And all the people without kids looked at me cross-eyed because they think I'm crazy. If I, if I did a poll in this room and I said, do you have enough time? Right? What if I told you the problem is not what you have or don't have? The problem is how we use what's been given to us. I could probably just dismiss right now, right? I mean, there's the sermon. 
That's it. Yeah, Jeff's out of here. So let's go to Haggai chapter 1, verse number 5. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. And Father, I pray that as we take the thoughts from this passage of Scripture and begin to apply them to stewardship, that you, through the power of your Spirit, would speak to our lives and help change the way we live so that we can better honor you with our words, our thoughts, and our actions. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. One more time. Can we give the Lord praise? Amen. Now, I have to be honest with you. I've got a lot to say today, and I gotta say it quick. So I need you to I need you to get on board. I need you, what's the old saying? Uh, what's drinking water out of a fire hose or something like that? That's what's happening today. So uh, so hold on tight and we'll get there together and it'll be all good, okay? okay. Amen? Amen. So I have a theory. My theory is that we all, I, I believe everybody in this room, I believe everybody in this room wants to be a generous person. I believe that, that's my theory. I believe everybody in this room wants to be a generous person. And I believe that even though we have been marred by sin, uh, and, I, and this, let me just say this, and that goes for people who don't follow Jesus even. I think that just about everyone you know and just about everyone you meet, now certainly there are exceptions, but listen, if you chose to come to church on a rainy, uh, cloudy Sunday morning, I think, I think you're good, okay? I believe, I believe you love Jesus. Uh, I believe you got to work on some things, but so do I. So we're in this together, right? Uh, but I, I think that just about everybody wants to be a generous person, and I think that we all whether we know the scriptures or don't know the scriptures, we inherently know that what Jesus said is true, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think we know that. I think that we want to be generous people. And the truth is, many of us think we are generous because every so often we give something. But can I tell you, there's a difference between being a giver and being generous. We, we want to be generous so we, we every so often sporadically offer something or give something or, or whatever it may be to, to appease that desire within us to be generous. But because we have not established the rhythm of stewardship in our lives, it is impossible for us to truly live generous lives. Oh, it gets quiet now. And stewardship is the rhythm that leads to a generous life. Let me say it another way. I, I said this last week. I think another possible title for this series of sermons could be disciplines. But people don't like that word because we just don't like that word. Stewardship is the discipline that leads to a generous life. There's 
three myths about generosity. In fact, there's probably a dozen myths about generosity. But, but one of them is that generosity is spontaneous. That generosity is spontaneous. We're watching TV or scrolling social media and we come across a GoFundMe account or a charity that's asking for a donation. And, and because we are decent human beings, right, and because we inherently know that it is true that it's better to give than to receive, we, uh, we give to that situation, we give to that need. And, and so because we have experienced things like that, and because we are impacted by things like that, we have come to the false assumption that generosity is something that happens spontaneously. But the truth about generosity is that it is less spontaneous and more strategic. The truth about it is that uh, generosity is something that is better done when it is planned or when it is part of the way you live. A truly generous person will sometimes say no to something so that they can say yes to something else. That's the first myth, that generosity is spontaneous in nature. The, the second myth is that uh, we say to ourselves, when I have more, I'll be generous. There's Carlos, found him. When I have more, I'll give more, right? When I get this thing paid off, mm, Come on, when I get that bill paid, then I'll start tithing. When, when, when our house is paid off, then, then we, will be, we will become extravagantly generous. Or, you know, when, when I get that raise or when I get that promotion or when I get that new job, then I will be generous. Can I just tell you that if you're not generous now with what you do have, you won't be generous when you have more. You know, money, and this is, this is not like biblical theology. This is just, all you got to do is kind of do a little research for yourself. Having more money doesn't make you better with money, right? It just, the, the way they say it is having more money doesn't make you better with money. It just makes you more of what you already are. I think I heard somebody say that over here. And all you've got to do is look up past lottery winners, Right? I mean, like, how many of the people that won the lottery in the past within just a few short years declared bankruptcy? How many of them, this is, this is sad, like, I don't want to make light of this, but how many of them actually wound up taking their own lives? How many athletes who grew up in poverty, poverty uh, signed multi-million contracts, multi-million dollar contracts, only to waste it away and to declare bankruptcy within a few years. Do, do the math, do the research. Not do the math, don't do the math. Do the research and you will find out that it is a crazy number because having more money doesn't make you better with money. Having more money just makes you more of what you already are. And so if you have succumbed to this idea of when I have more, I'll give more. I'm sorry to tell you, that's just not how it works. Because if you can't be generous with what you have, you won't have more to be generous with. The, the third myth and the, one, the, the last one I'll share today, certainly there are more, is that generosity is limited to the tangible. Uh, I think that when we think about generosity, and, and I'll be honest, even the majority of this message will, will use tangible things as the object of generosity. And I think the reason why we do that is because it is the most easy to visualize and to understand. Uh, but I think when we think about generosity, the primary thing we think about is dollar bills, right? 
And then if we're not going to talk about money, then we think about possessions that can be bought with dollar bills, with money. But, but the truth is that generosity uh, it can be expanded to how we spend our time. How we, how we use our talents and our skills and how we spend our energy. I'm sure we could even add a few more things to that list as well. And so let's go back to Haggai. And this time I want to read it from the New International Version because it says it a little differently. And so just, just listen to these words. He says, now this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So I want you, let's do a little practice right now. Just stop right now. And ask the Holy Spirit. Come on, just say it with your own word, own words. Lord, help me to give careful thought to my ways right now in this moment. Help me, help me to see things about me that I've been blinded to. It's, it's a great practice, but man, it's, it's a little dangerous. Because the Lord will be, if you ask him, he'll show you. He'll show you. And, and Jeff, let me just be, you know, I don't play games from this pulpit. Preparing this message, can I just say this? I'm going to say a bad word up here. It kind of sucked. Because as I wrote this message, I was like repenting the whole time. Legitimately, because I, ha I, I don't just get up here and preach a sermon that I hope changes your life, but if it doesn't first change me, I can't expect it to change you. And as I was preparing this message, and I knew I was going to ask you to consider your ways, I had to ask the Holy Spirit to help me consider my own ways. Which is why I'm starting Weight Watchers tomorrow. <laughs> am I lying? Kristen, I'm looking at you. I am lying? Yeah, we're doing it together. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on her situation. Oh, man. So we have to develop a rhythm of stewardship if we want to live the lives that God wants us to live. So we, we often ask for blessings, right? We ask the Lord to, to bless us, to you know, expand our territory, pulling from the prayer of Jabez. But what if, what if the Lord said to you, listen, the blessings are available to you, but if I gave them to you, you would just waste it. If I did this for you, you would throw it away. You, wouldn't, you, would, you, you would indulge it, you would use it for your personal benefit, but there would be nothing that you would use it for to benefit others. You would, you would squander it. And so if we truly want to ask the Lord to bless us in areas of our lives, before we can do that with a good and sincere heart, we have to make the choice to establish or to develop the rhythm of stewardship in our lives so that what he gives us, so that what he puts in our hands like Haggai says, does not fall through a pocket with holes in it, right? 
And so the, the first thing we need to do to develop a, a rhythm of stewardship is, and this is simple, this is elementary, this isn't like going to blow your theological, your socks off, right? But it's still good, it's still true, it's foundational, and it sounds easy, but putting it into practice is not as easy as it sounds. So if we want to develop a rhythm of stewardship, number one, we got to put God first. We have to put the Lord first. One of my favorite scriptures throughout the entire Bible, probably the first one I ever memorized is Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or seek first God's kingdom. And live righteously. And he will then give you everything you need. I want to ask you right there where you sit. Now listen. I want you to contemplate this question. But I don't think that you can get the answers to this question in this moment. I think that this, is a, this would be a process that you would need to go before the Lord maybe this week or the rest of this month even and, and ask God to help you. How can I rearrange my life to put you first? How can I rearrange my life to put you first? Can I just tell you, you don't need a new year to decide to put God first. You don't need a new week. You don't need a new month. You don't even need a new day. It can be 3.30 on a Thursday. And you can be like, Lord, I have not been living with you first in my life. But right now at 3.32 uh, p.m. on Thursday afternoon, I am putting you first in my life. Help me to see the areas of my life where I have demoted you in, in, in terms of priority. And help me, God, to promote you back to lordship in my life. Right? Come on, a lot of times we confess Jesus as Savior, but man, we struggle to confess him as Lord. It's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to live it. And, and, and the idea of putting God first isn't just saying, Lord, you're first in my life. You know, we, we say it like this, you know, like, God, family, country, church, I don't know, job, and we go through our list of like things, right? And we have God at the top of that list, and we think this means God is first in my life. But can I, can I just tell you, that's not, that's not God first in your life. It's, it's God, and then it's God's first in my family. And then it's God first in my job. And then it's God first with my kids, then it's God first in my hobbies. It's God first in my finances. It's God first in my calendar. It's God first in my day. It's not God first and then list everything else that you think you have that's important in your life. But it's God first in every area of importance in your life. That's what it means to put God first. And one of the best ways to do that, uh, to at least start doing that, is to decide right now that you're going to put God first in your day. That means every single morning before you, before you do anything else of priority, you spend time with the Lord. For some of you, it might be 15 seconds. For some of you, it might be 15 minutes. For some of you, it might be two hours. Really, the, the, the quantity of time is irrelevant at this point. What's important is that you just decide to do it, and then you follow through with that decision. That before you start making decisions, before you start speaking words to other human beings, that you have spent time with the Lord, that you have given him first priority in your day. I mean, Jesus himself, uh, Mark 135, the Bible tells us that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I just want to offer this thought to you. If it was important, and this is not an, the only scripture where this occurs. This is just one of several I want to submit to you this idea. If it was important enough for Jesus 
God in the flesh to start his day with his heavenly father, how much more important should it be for each and every one of us to do the same? Oh, Pastor Drew, I'm just not a morning person. You know what? At some point, if you want to truly put God first and grow in your faith and to develop a life of, of, of godly rhythms, you have to get over what does or does not come easy to you. That is the difference between children and adults. Let me say it like this. It is the difference between immaturity and maturity. And there are a lot of Christians who've followed Jesus for 20 plus years, but they're still sucking on a baby bottle because they won't grow up and do not necessarily the hard things, but the necessary things to grow in their faith and to become the man or woman God has called them to be. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. But when you do what you can do, he will do what you can't do. So we put God first. Lifehouse as a church, and many of you are part of it, we committed the first week to the Lord in 2023. Can I just tell you, as a pastor, as a father of three, as a husband, and as a man who diligently guards his afternoon and evening calendars. This past week was hard on me, right? And I'm not, listen, if you weren't able to come, listen, I'm not, I'm, I, there is no judgment from my heart, right? And I even told Kristen, I told Wendy, I said, if I wasn't the pastor, I wouldn't be here tonight a couple <laughs> different times. I said it, didn't I? I told you, because I don't play games. I'll tell you how it is, but I showed up anyway, because I'm the pastor. We gather to worship on Sundays, which is the first day of the week. A lot of people think Sunday is the Sabbath day. Actually, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Sunday is the first day of the week, which is also the day that Jesus rose from the dead, which is why we gather on the first day of the week to give God the first of our week. Yeah, right? Yes. We, 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 you guys okay? Yeah. I got 21 minutes and 12 seconds left. All right. We give God the first of our finances. We call it the tithe. It's 10%. For every $100 you earn, you give 10 to the Lord. And this is not my opinion. This isn't something that preachers came up with so that people would give them money. Although, to be fair, it has been abused to make it look like that all too often. Which is discouraged good people who want to love Jesus and honor him. It has it discouraged several people from being obedient to the scriptures. But can I assure you, at Lifehouse Church, that is not our goal, plan, or intentions. And we have a board, and we have people in our church that oversee finances that make sure there's nothing being wasted or squandered or, or done shady at all. But, but let me just give you, can I just give you a few scriptures about tithing? I don't think some people even know tithing's in the Bible. You guys okay? Leviticus, everybody's favorite book, right? One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. No kidding, uh, the church that I became a Christian in, a uh, very small church in a very rural area in Mississippi, uh, several people in the church, they were farmers. They didn't work jobs, but they farmed the land. And they would literally bring to the pastor's home crops from their field as a tithe to the Lord. 
And I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, I wish we had more farmers in our church. <laughs> Maybe we got some, some beef farmers, right? Yeah. Deuteronomy, which is actually a very interesting book. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Can I just tell you, and I struggle talking about this because I know how people feel about it often, but it's not my job to say what I want to say or don't want to say. It's my job to be faithful to the scriptures. But when you, you cannot give your tithe to a place that you don't go to church and worship at. That's not a tithe. That is generosity, but it's not a tithe. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord. Can I tell you that the greatest return on investment you'll ever see in your life is when you give your first to God? Man, you guys were really amening me about eight minutes ago really well. And it's just quiet now. Malachi, one of the most famous passages on tithing, says, Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Me, you may have heard this before, but this is the only place in Scripture where the Lord essentially says, come on, try it out. Try me. I dare you. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail from the, or fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I don't, I don't know uh, what people give. I don't know how much or who tithes or doesn't tithe. Um, but I do know this. I know everybody in this room right now doesn't tithe. But I guarantee you, if everyone gave a biblical tithe every single week or month to this church, we would have, it would exponentially multiply our ability to impact our community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you. And I also believe, even more so than that, that you would see a blessing in your life, according to the word of God, that you would not have room enough to even take in. <clears throat> you guys okay? Here's, a, here's another side note for you. I got 16 minutes and 54 seconds left, okay? <clears throat> Tithing is not, no, sir. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. Tithing is obedience. And obedience opens the door of blessing from God. Tith I mean, I, I'm sorry. Are you, I really am, I'm gonna make sure you're good. Tithing is not paying a bill. Tithing is returning to the Lord what he has given you to steward. Tithing isn't, you can't even say that tithing is a gift to the church. Tithing is your biblical duty as a follower of Jesus. Just as not murdering or not committing adultery against your spouse. Now granted, it is not one of the top ten, but it is nonetheless in there. See, the, the thing that we have to understand is that it's all his. And the Lord just lets us choose what to do with the 90% that he doesn't require back from us. Right? So we have to develop a rhythm uh, of stewardship by putting God first. And, and, and I know, 
I know I'm talking a lot about money right now, and I, the reason why we're doing that is because that is what is easy enough for us to understand. That is what is easiest for us to grasp hold of. But it is not just about money. So number two, to develop a rhythm of stewardship, we have to manage well what we have. We have to manage well what we have. You, a lot of people say this to me, and, and, and if you've ever said this to me, I promise you, I don't judge you. I'm not even thinking about you as I say this. But a lot of people will say to me, I want to tithe. I don't have enough money to tithe. Can I tell you why you don't have enough money to tithe? It's because you don't manage well what you have. It's because you're not a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. It's not because your job doesn't pay you enough. It's because you like to eat out. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. And you know why I can talk about this? Because I have lived it. And if I were to let myself, I would live it again. I've made these mistakes. I've done these things. And I've, I've literally went to write a tithe check before and said, God, I don't have enough. You need to bless me more so I can give my tithe. And the loving yet convicting voice of the Holy Spirit would say to me, you need to stop going to Outback so much and you'd be able to tithe. You need to choose a less expensive vehicle. Mm. You got to stop buying video games, Drew. That's what the Lord told me. I'm not saying that's what he's telling you. Can I tell you that God cares how you manage or steward what he's given you? He cares how you manage your money. He cares how you manage your time. He cares how you manage your energy. He cares how you take care of your possessions. Come on, he cares how you take care of your body. He, take, he cares how you take care of your mind. Come on, we've, we've, we're so bad about filling our mind with junk from social media and YouTube rather than with things that will build us up and, and help us and equip us. Now, I'm not saying that we can enjoy entertainment, but we don't need to be entertained seven hours a day. I'm going to go eat ice cream when I get home. And that's happening. But I don't need to eat it every day. I mean, I have eaten it every day for a while. But tomorrow that ends. Because I'm going to take care of my body. God cares how we manage what he's given us. So, so why does he care so much? Because he's the one that blessed us with it. And he didn't bless us with it just for us to enjoy. That's part of it. But he mostly blesses it with us because he has a purpose for us to use it. And the purpose is that we would invest what he's given us into this world, into, in, in, into this world in such a way that it would impact the world to come. And so instead of investing our time, our money, our bodies, our resources, our energy, we're spending it and we're wasting it and we're using it and we're getting no return on the investment because we're not making wise and disciplined choices with the things the Lord has given us. There's a parable uh, that Jesus tells it's mostly known as the parable of the talents. From the New Living, that I'm going to read it, you're going to hear the word silver, which the word talent really just meant a portion of money or a portion of silver. 
So, so understand that when I say bags of silver, we're talking about the same stuff. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I hope you're okay with that because I'm doing it either way. Uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable starting in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver. Now this is where you would read in other translation. He gave five talents. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Did you hear? Did you catch that part? Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then, he left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Can I just say this? A lot of people think because that you've been saved, because of what Jesus has done, that you will not stand before God and give an account of your life. That's not true. That's not true. We will all stand before the Lord and we will give an account of how we have used this gift of the forgiveness of God to further the kingdom of God. Can I, just, can I just tell you, this is growing up preaching today. Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate this together. Notice, he didn't give him more money. He gave him responsibility. Right? <clears throat> Verse 22. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I want to just stop right here and say, Can I just tell you, it's not, a, it's not how you start that matters. Right. Ever, somebody in this world, somebody in this room, probably somebody on your row, is going to have more talents than you. Or they may have less talents than you. Now what the world wants us to do is compare what we have and what we don't have. What the king wants us to do is use what's been given to us regardless of what anybody else does with what they have. Right? Some, to some God gives five. To some he gives ten. To some he gives twenty. To some he gives one. It's, it's irrelevant what you have. What is relevant is how you use it. Verse 24, the servant with one bag of silver came and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. And he said, look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? I, I don't want to stand before the Lord. And him look at me and say, you made it. But you sure didn't help anybody else get here. I mean, yeah, you got here. But you were a glutton with the gospel. You consumed it all for yourself. And you didn't share it with this world. Yeah, I gave you this blessing. And you just consumed it. You didn't invest it. He says... Why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? 
At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. And then here's verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, but for those who do nothing, even what little they do have will be taken away. Let me tell you again. God cares how we steward what he's given us. And this goes far beyond the world of finances to every single aspect of our lives. Your children, moms and dads in the room, your children are yours to steward. Not so that they can grow up and get a good job and be successful, but so that they can become and grow into men and women of God and further the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. I don't care if my kids make me honor roll. I mean, I'm glad when they do. But who gives a flying flip about the honor roll in comparison to eternity? I wanna, I'm not raising good little girls. I'm raising world changers. They are part of my investment into the world to come. And sometimes I make decisions that they don't like. And I'm okay with that. And they will be eventually as well. Because I'm not preparing them for this world. I'm preparing them for the world that is to come. God cares how we steward what we have. And you see, we have to adopt the mindset that I am not an owner of anything. I'm a, I'm a steward. Because owners... Irby, they possess a mentality of entitlement. Oh, this is mine. I can do whatever I want to do with it, right? How many of us have said something like that? It's my body. I'll eat that Krispy Kreme donut. Well, you know, it's not your body, actually. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have been paid for with a high price, the Bible tells us, the blood of Jesus himself. And there are many men and women who die untimely deaths who love Jesus, follow Jesus, but they don't live the full extent of their lives because they didn't take care of their bodies. I told you I wasn't going to just talk about money. Owners possess a sense of entitlement, and they say, I can do with it what I want to do with it. I bought it. I paid for it. It's mine. My friend, it is not yours. It is a gift from the Lord. And stewards, instead of possessing a mentality of entitlement, they possess a sense of responsibility. My money, it's not my money. I don't have a wallet on me, but I got Apple Pay. It's not mine, right? My time, my calendar, it's not mine. My family, it's not mine. My energy, it's not mine. My, my, my mind, it's not even mine. Uh, my job, it's not mine. Nothing is mine. Everything I possess is a gift from a good father. And what matters most is not how I spend it, but how I invest it. And how I use it to honor the Lord and to seek first the kingdom of God above all else. And then he says, if you will steward well what I have given you, even more will be given. Matthew and Ashley, you've been stewarding well, right? 
Some of y'all don't get it. I'll let them tell you. Number three, develop. <laughs> to develop a rhythm of stewardship, number three, live generously. Live generously with your money. Live generously with your time. Live generously with your love. Live generously with your ear to listen. Live generously with your encouragement to lift up. Live generously with your home to invite others in. Live generously with your smile, right? To encourage. And live generously with your abilities. If the Lord has given you a gift, listen, you, you might even say, oh, you know, this isn't a talent, this is a skill. Well, who gave you the ability to learn the skill? If the Lord has given you an ability and you are not using it and you're not using it in such a way that points other people to the Lord, my friend, come on, stop wasting it and use it, whatever it is. Listen, if you are good at cleaning, come on, we got things for you to do. If you're good at organizing, we got things for you to do. If you're good at making messes, go work in the nursery, baby. We got things for you to do. <laughs> Come on, if you're good with your hands in construction and building or sometimes tearing down, man, we got plenty of things for you to do around here. Here's the thing, though. It doesn't mean that you always say yes to every single opportunity to show generosity. If you did, you wouldn't have, any, you wouldn't have anything left, right? But it does mean that you submit your life to the Holy Spirit to be led by Him in everything so that when He tells you to say yes, you hear His voice and then you say yes. You say yes. If I say yes to every time, opportunity to, to give my time to somebody, I would have no time for my family. But I listen to His voice and I say yes to the ones He tells me to say yes to. I say no to the ones He tells me to say no to. Closing thoughts. You guys excited to hear that, right? Plane is landing. Timer's got a minute left. Generosity is not simply a better way to be a Christian. Living a life of generosity is the only way to be a Christian. And many of you are confronted right now and you are mentally excusing things in your mind, saying, well, he does not understand my situation. And that very well may be true, but the word of the Lord supersedes any situation that you can come up with. So instead of me giving you more scriptures about generosity, how about I just remind you that we all want to be generous, but few of us are truly able to be generous the way we want to be because we haven't developed a rhythm of stewardship in our lives. So let's, instead of making excuses, make decisions today to do the things that we need to do so that we can live the life we want to live and to develop a lifestyle of extravagant generosity. You see, the, the happiest people I know, and I know a lot of people, I have 4,000 plus Facebook friends. I know so many people. I couldn't tell you 50 of them, probably. <laughs> but the happiest people I know are not the wealthiest people I know. In fact, 
just about every wealthy person I know is not fun to hang out with. They complain, they gripe, they're not happy, they're not joyful. Not all of them, but a lot of them. The happiest people I know are the most generous people I know. And as you begin to live generously, you will be amazed at how much joy it brings you. Now, the typical preacher line right here is to say, if you give to God, God will give to you. And I believe that. However, let me just say it like this. If you will choose to start living generously, the Lord will enable you to live even more generously than you are currently living. You see, we don't give so that we can get. That is a sour motivation. We give so that we can give even more. We give so that we know that the Lord can trust us and continue to use us as a conduit to give blessings to those who need it. So before I go any further, I want to invite you right now all across the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I have a few more things to say, but before I get to that, I want you to understand the reason why we are generous is because we are loved and have been saved by a generous God. You are most like your heavenly father when you give of yourself. And God is a giver. We give because he first gave to us. And so right now, I want you to hear me. Jesus gave his life for you. And he is inviting you today you have not already done so to give your life to him so before I take a step further if you would like to give your life to the Lord to be forgiven of your sins whether it be for the first time or the 100th time would you lift your hand high in the air so I can see you I see you brother is there anybody else is there anyone else can we pray this together as a congregation Dear God, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new again. I want to live my life for you and everything I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate this one brother who recommitted his life to the Lord? Now, for everybody else in the room, you cannot change the past, but you can change today. I tell Kristen a lot, I'm really bad about reminiscing, like to a semi-unhealthy level. And I'll tell her things like, I wish I could go back and redo that. Anybody ever think that way? I'm talking like I'm in fifth grade and I did something stupid. And I'm like, Man, I wish I could get a second chance on that. I, I just, that's the kind of stuff I remember. That's the things that I wake up at 3 a.m. going, oh, I was such a jerk to her in seventh grade or I remember a car I bought like just on the spot and then three weeks later it broke down I was like man I wish I could get that money back you know I wish I would have bought an iPod instead of a Zoom right you know man that was a bad investment in 2004 I wish I could go back and get a second chance to try that again I wish I knew then what I know now all, you know all that kind of stuff well you can't change the past, but you can change today. 
So I want to encourage you right now to consider your ways. Are you a generous person? Are you a good steward of the resources the Lord has given you? And if you are, fantastic. And hope I'm sure some in this room are. That's great. You keep doing what you're doing. And observe as the Lord continues to bless you so that you can continue to impact his kingdom. But my guess is that many in this room, as we consider our ways, we're not good stewards. We've wasted instead of invested. We've spent instead of using what we've been given to further the kingdom. Instead of living with regret, my encouragement to you today is to repent and say, Lord, please forgive me. The word tells us he is faithful and just to do so. And he will no longer hold against you what you've done wrong. So instead of living in regret, repent and then make the decision today. I can't change the past, but I can change today. Today, I will begin doing what is necessary to develop a rhythm of stewardship in my life so that I can be a generous person with my money, with my time, with my energy, with my love, with my encouragement, with my calendar, with my home, with my life. And if that's your prayer today, would you stand to your feet just right where you are? It's beautiful. Once again, can we just lift up holy hands as the word says, without wrath and doubting. Father, we come to you right now with repentant hearts. We come to you in a spirit of humility, God. We cannot change yesterday. But Father, we can commit this day to you knowing that tomorrow will be different because of the decisions we've made and the work that you've done in us and will do through us. And Father, as we commit our lives to you, it is our prayer that you would help us to live a disciplined and and godly life, to steward well what you've been given to us. Lord, we're not asking you for more so we can hoard it, but God, we are asking you to help us steward well what you've given us so that, God, you can trust us with more, so that we can go further, so that we can do more for your kingdom than we've ever done before. And that is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And Lifehouse said, amen. 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 Can we clap for the Lord? Amen. Lifehouse, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may his favor rest on you. In Jesus' name, you are dismissed. Let's go and show this world that they are loved and highly valued.